there's one thing I would say, I, I, we've definitely noticed it's really hard at like understanding, um, like situational context about prioritization. So like there's, for example, you might have an engineer is working on something and they don't enjoy working on that thing. And there's like burnout. There's like specific strategy that you have to think about with like team dynamics and company dynamics that I think product people are really good at because they can hold kind of like what you're talking about, like empathy for people uh, and a lot of empathy for people. And I think like we've found that that's very difficult. It's very like, this is the right thing to do. So you should do it. But sometimes like the right thing to do is not the best thing to do. Um, and so I think that it's, it's, it's often failed at those types of problems that we've seen. Welcome to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists. Conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here with another Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. Steve, you know, with ChatGPT coming out, AI has been all the rage. Uh, well, AI and bank failures and layoffs. But AI has been one of the big rages in the tech industry. I, we talked about AI and machine learning in this call like two or th so years ago, and it, and it seems like it just was, you know, there and now all of a sudden it's here. I mean, what are you seeing? What are you reading about this that's making you think that this is the time it's actually going to make it happen? Well, you know, I, I think at least part of it is it's it, it feels real. I mean, you know, in the past, everybody talks about, you know, the singularity and the robots will take over. And next thing you know, we're living in the Terminator. But there, there's no real evidence necessarily of it. And now people are seeing for the first time what everybody's been talking about. And it's just like so amazing to, you know, type something and have it give you a, 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 a wonderful answer. But I, I think more interesting to me is it reveals how unhappy we are with today's search tools. Mm -hmm. That a natural language way of, of digesting whatever is out there on the internet and giving you a cogent answer in the, uh, in, in the space of moments seems to be revealing that we even, yeah, that, that, that searching is not solving our problem. No, it, and it's interesting because coming from a long history of search as a competitive and market research person, I always tended to do natural language search, but I realized I could drop a whole bunch of stuff. But it, it definitely, the interaction I've had at least with ChatGPT has been on a different level. And I actually, working with a private equity company uh, for an uh, acquisition, they're trying to describe a technology and everybody's thinking things, everybody's writing. I just put in a ChatGPT, how do you describe this technology? And they're like, oh, that's good. So I, I think that there's there's something there that we haven't had before. We got we've also seen as well, I mean, just like computers and the internet and, you know, uh, the iPhone and, you know, every new innovation, people are like, oh my gosh, it can do anything, you know, and suddenly they're just talking once again about this magic black, back, magic black box that 
does all anything you can think of. And, you know, pretty soon we won't need people and we won't need planets and we won't need cars because, you know, AI will take care of that. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So obviously the, the topic this week is AI's impact on product management. We've got an amazing panel. We've got people who are founders, CEOs of AI for product management and product operations companies. We've got a person who's been a product leader and product manager in the AI space, somebody who's done robotics and has been doing this stuff forever. And many of our, our, our same core people, a lot of new people, I can't wait for this conversation. And so on Monday, we put this question in the community. What impact will AI have on the strategic role of product management? Uh, and, you know, obviously Jason Vincelet was one of the first people who came in talking about chat GPT, helping with the strategic role for market research, maybe positioning, a lot of talk about where we could go with using it to identify gaps. And of course, May comes in with a thesis, uh, but it was more note, your, your call notes from what, listening to a podcast from Melissa Perry, right? Um, not quite. It's more just what it got me thinking about. So I, I spent a lot of time thinking about how does, how do things change, right? So say you're at a company that doesn't currently have any capabilities around machine learning or AI, and all of a sudden, um, someone at the top says, thou must do AI, scrap your entire roadmap, we're going full AI now, right? Um, you can see that happening. I'm sure you all can. Um, so, so it's like, what, what problem are you solving? Like, does it make sense to use AI? Uh, so um, a couple of things I've been thinking about is, it, does it make sense to bundle someone else's AI instead of making your own? Because there's a lot of cost to it. Like, and 90% of the time, it's probably more efficient to just bundle someone else's and build an extra layer on top of it, right? So what does that mean? What are the risks inherent in doing that? Um, you know, how, how susceptible are you to them raising the prices? Because then you're throwing all your eggs in that one basket. Um, how necessary is it to use AI? So as a product manager, you probably want to think about, you know, more less about how do I build an AI if you're not a AI PM, um, but more what are the options available to me, right? These are all tools that help you solve your problem. What is your problem? You're on mute. I, I don't I do that every once in a while. It could be a problem with doing the, the efficiency of product management, right? How do we get better at it helping us with discovery, research, whatever it may be? But it also could be a problem that your product can solve. We could use AI in a product to solve a problem, right? Yeah, but it's just like, you know, if you have a new tool, you don't have to use it, but if it's so much better, maybe you should use it. Maybe you should think about how do you use it, but there are huge operational changes that extend beyond product management. It's organizational um, that we should consider. No, I, 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 I think that's key. And I think there's both sides of it, right? And, and we, and when we talked about product management, and digital transformations, uh, there was the com concept of, and I just put it in, in LinkedIn, the idea of getting ready for the marathon, getting the starting line, and actually running the marathon are commercial products. And I think that, that AI plays in both of those places as well, helping us get better at doing the practice of product management and helping us make our products uh, better because there's AI in it and it's using it. Corey. Uh, you said hopefully better answers with less searching. 
Yeah, I, I like the notion of this being a better research assistant or helping me find an answer in a shorter amount of time. That's what I've personally been using it for. And I'm a skeptic on this mm -hmm. anyway. I don't think it's the, the, the next best thing. I think it's a useful tool. Um, and I think when people start preaching these things that it'll change the world, maybe it will. But I think we've got enough examples of blockchain and iPad and Siri and everything else that just was a, it's not a flash in the pan, but it was so hyped up and it never really evolved to anything. This is actually practical, right? I can, I've used it this week to tell me, hey, how do I calculate time in Excel and give me the formula for doing that? And it did, and it did it very quickly. And you know what? I was able to copy and paste it and it worked. I didn't have to do anything else. That was amazing. So more things like that, or as I'm, uh, I think one of the things I said was it's, it's a good kind of rubber duck debugger. So if I'm thinking through an idea, it helps to have somebody to talk to instead of talking to myself, which looks a little weird. Um, but it gives me a, a way to have a dialogue with somebody other than myself that is meaningful for introspection or, or helping me um, get there. What I hope it doesn't do is mean that every job description now for a product manager means you need to have five years of AI experience to be hired. <laughs> <laughs> or certification it will that's definitely coming. require that i'm sure that, that's coming yeah yeah well I, I remember steve talking about jobs requiring 20 years of social media experience and social media hadn't been around for 20 years so uh it, it happens and you know what Corey, you just saved me a ton of time i can now just go to chat gpt and ask what's the excel formula for a continual growth rate that's like my biggest no i just did thing. the same thing i'm just like it never occurred to me to do that but once again back to my point was why do we need ai to do that why is help in word and excel and powerpoint and everybody else's products so abysmal yes. that the solution is to go into chat yeah well, i could have probably was i could have probably found that answer steve after about 45 minutes of searching through 12 different sites. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. But that's also why you go to Google for how do you do this in something, right? It, it's, it, you know, uh, maybe that's a place where in product we can have the biggest impact is in our help, you know, tools, right? If you think about it that way, that is one of the biggest problems in most products. I mean, definitely in Microsoft. Uh, Eva, good to have you back on the call. Uh, go Sixers. Uh, and... I'd love to get, I mean, you, you're sort of working in a space that's sort of AI adjacent, right? An RPA? Yeah, I work with RPA. Um, it's, uh, I mean, we've been talking about AI for a while. It wasn't just with chat GPT or whatever the latest trend is. I completely concur with Corey. I feel like it's the next shiny object. I think my concern is over being ethical with AI. Um, because that's a big question, right? With these new technologies, how are we using them? How are we protecting people's, uh, you know, vital personal information, both professionally and, and you know, in, in health organizations, financial organizations, those type of things. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm not fully on board the chat GPT thing. I'm one of those people that is cautious and is a little bit of a pessimist. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I, I actually, I think that's a great point to start turning to a couple of our product leaders who actually have been working in the AI space. Glenn Ford, uh, what, what, when people talk about the uh, ethics of it, 
uh, I'd love to get your take on what, you know, as you were building products and a platform for it, uh, I'd be very interested uh, in, in, in sort of your take. Yeah, so <clears throat> we, uh, we were serving, the two companies I worked at uh, in the AI space uh, were serving, really making data for training large models, right? For custom, custom applications, computer vision applications, for instance, some NLP. So we reviewed, um, we had actual councils uh, of ethicists. Well, they weren't formally ethicists, but we had an ethics council in-house to sort of review when we would get, uh, you know, you might get a, an RFP, an RFI from uh, a defense contractor or someone who primarily does that. And so you have to look at that and say, well, am I going to build, <laughs> am I having my employees build targeting software sort of? second degree uh, from the, the people or the data scientists who are doing the work on the models. And that was a really, that's a, a concern of like, do I accept the work or do I not accept the work? It's at that level of, of uh, ethical decision-making. You know, we weren't usually, uh, we did use ML internally for, um, you know, for to accelerate our product, but at that point, it's not as wasn't as much an ethical concern, and there's really nothing in, in what we did, like with Chat GPT and with Dolly and Midjourney, where at some point it has ingested the work of humans who are now getting no. Yes, the the model we all know the model is doing is synthesizing, so there's some originality to it. But the I got a recipe from Chat GPT the other day, and I can't remember what it was, but let's just say risotto. It was written in this real personal, personable affect, right? Uh, not just you know, listing out ingredients and, and processes. So um, that came from somebody. There's a, a million recipe writers on the web and uh, they're supported by ads. And now if I go to chat GPT and, and more quickly without ads get uh, a recipe, I'm, I'm thinking about which two or three recipe writers did this really get cobbled from? So there is a, I, I, I echo the, I think May's concern, oh no, it was Eva, um, about um, uh, ethics and, and the sourcing of those, of the data. It's interesting. Steve and I do, uh, are partnered with a research and advisory for, firm for publishers, content providers, data providers, and that type of stuff. And obviously this is huge for them because you've got these publishers who have primary research they're doing that all of a sudden is getting you know, consumed by AI stuff. And it's like, how do you protect your copyrights in those types of stuff? So there's, there, there's still a huge fallout to happen in figuring out, you know, source material and that type of stuff. I, in some of the research we're, I'm doing, I wish that it gave me sources, right? Give me some links to go to, to, to see where the data came from or where, it, where the source stuff came from. Zach Harris, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna add to that and say, you can ask after you get your answer, linked me to the authoritative sources frequently chat gpt will link you to something that doesn't exist or is not the right source right so it's uh predicting the next right word right but it is not really you know it's, that's the way the 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 model works different than the human mind um yeah. I, so. I, I, again a lot of fallout to happen in the coming weeks, months, whatever, years. Zach Harris, you said in the chat, you sort of want to take the opposite view. And I, you talked about healthcare. And I've actually done some work with a 
you know, uh, radiology company that was using AI. And it's amazing what's happening there. Talk to me about your view of what AI, you know, the the counter of it, right? The good of it versus totally. the ethical issue. Yeah, I, I guess for, for me, um, I've been on kind of this personal and professional journey to better understand how my own mind works and how to change other people's minds too on kind of a systematic level. And um, one of my clients is um, this company, Israeli cognitive behavioral therapy company called Happify Health that rebranded to Twill. And they actually have a series of mindfulness products that are um, kind of focused on cognitive behavioral therapy, some more over-the-counter grade strength and some more prescription grade strength. But they actually use AI for um, determining um, levels of severity for metacognitive disorders. So like, let's say somebody's um, suffering from anxiety or depression, they can understand using natural language processing and machine learning um, and some neuro-linguistic programming to understand the level of severity around a person's depression state or anxiety state, and then offer a course of treatment that's dynamically personalized from an adhesion, prescription dosage, and fidelity standpoint using AI both for coaching as well as administering the content on a systematic level. So I think that's like one really, really interesting application, um, cognitive behavioral therapy through a gamification sort of context, um, medium delivery dosage, so to speak, um, but through the lens of um, digital therapeutics. Um, and the reason that I mentioned sort of mindfulness and how my mind works is I have ADHD. And so a lot of people with ADHD often have a negativity bias. And so they tend to catastrophize and they tend to go down um, dark holes that maybe don't always have a fruitful outcome. And so for me, so much of cognitive behavioral therapy is figuring out how to dwell in a yes and maximizing way of thinking as opposed to a no but limiting way of thinking. Because if you think about the kind of combinatorial math you're maximizing the surface area of opportunities you're shooting at when you're dwelling in possibility, and you're systematically minimizing the downside risks that you're taking when you're dwelling in negativity. So that's my hopefully 90 second TLDR in response to that. I, I think you did pretty good in the timing of it. And, you know, it's not, and, and actually very interesting to me just you know, with, you know, with many people in my family who are neurodivergent, I'll have to check that thing out. But then you also look at any place where you can see patterns, it would seem like this would be strength, right? So I, I was just reading an article about how AI was able to detect a breast cancer like a years before a, a resident could, just because totally. they're able to see the patterns and where it's going. And I've worked with that in the maintenance of heavy equipment. Uh, using AI and machine learning to do that type of stuff, which is pretty amazing. So definitely when pattern recognition comes in and you have enough data that you can train it against, I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. But uh, I also I also think that when you flip the script, so to speak, you can sometimes start looking at things that historically you anchored around uh, liabilities as assets. So I, I always looked at my neurodiversity, this hyper-focused thing, as more of a liability for like the first 35 years of my life. And only recently until I've started like building a new neural pathway bias 
in my mind, my own mind's eye, have I been kind of looking at that as a superpower, as an asset. So if you sort of think about the, the opposite rules of gravity that apply to creating better virtuous cycles, how do you systematically minimize the vicious ones and systematically maximize the virtuous ones? I, I, I'm, I'm thinking right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Dutch and Zach and myself, you know, we probably should do a neurodivergency in product management because in many ways, neurodivergency is a, is a product management superpower. Uh, I think maybe that'll be a topic a week in the future. Uh, Spencer, I want to get to you. Uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what you guys are doing uh, right. and, you know, to have a conversation on AI and its impact on the strategic role of product management, we having a founder of an AI tool for product management, uh, you know, where, what's your take on this question? Um, Unbiased. <laughs> yeah, I'm biased. I think uh, I, there's a few concerns that we have uh, at the company, which is is it, it's getting. So, for example, we had a strategy meeting yesterday, and our you know we obviously have very early access to not just what's available, but to our own technology, what we're building in in house. Um, and so, our our build better assistant has access to. Um, anything at the company, Slack, Notion, conversations. Um, and we were doing a strategic product planning chat. And so we said, okay, here's what we think we want to go down. Uh, let's find some research. Let's like pull in this stuff. Uh, and it disagreed with our decision. <laughs> uh, it didn't think that what we were building was probably the highest leverage thing that we could be building. Uh, and it gave like a pretty good explanation as to why. Uh, and it nudged us in a direction that it felt like was a little bit um, a little bit more uh, clear based off of what other people are working at at the company, what other product people have been writing in Slack, and uh, you know what our customers have been saying through feedback. And I think the things that to what you the, the street strategic role is like, this is what it does today. And I think we don't know how far and how fast it's going to go. So kind of one of the things that Steve said, and I and I think I agree with is there's definitely a pivotal moment that's happening right now where something new is out there and there's this end state that we think it might end at which is like agi like artificial general intelligence like something that can really do anything um but there is a big delta between where it's at right now and and where it could go as like an agi tool and i think if agi exists a, a, most most of us are out of a job right it, it 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 can reason it can do a pretty good job it's very creative it can merge ideas it can go through existing data can find anything um, and the biggest difference that i think a lot of people have to think about is right now it answers questions it's really good at answering questions agi changes that and it starts asking questions uh, it can really go through your data and start being curious and and start thinking about new ways of solving problems that you haven't thought of and so like, that's a very, very different thing that it can do. Um, and that's like scary. Like what, is, like, what is a great product person if not someone who asks great questions? And, and what is an AGI if, it, it's, if it's able to ask a better question and figure out how to answer it? So it, it, there's probably multiple stages to this because at least in the near term, even when we get to that AGI and it can ask good questions, how open will a buyer, customer, user yeah. be talking with a, a bot, right? Or a, yeah. you know, and so can, you know, can it have empathy and compassion to help dig into it? Can it follow, you know, hear yeah. one answer and, ch and change track and go down a rabbit trail? 
I, I mean, I don't know, but I, this is me maybe hoping for the future of our job as people <laughs> that, you know, there are things that empathy and compassion. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the best case scenario, and this is something that, you know, has been mentioned here is like the best case scenario is it's an assistant that does the operational kind of tedious, laborious jobs that we don't like doing at our, our workplace and allows us to do what we love, which is maybe strategy, high level thinking, product I'm thinking about new ways of solving problems. That's like best case scenario. Uh, worst case scenario is it also does that other part that we love doing. And yeah, so I, like that that's <laughs> uh, we're the the question and I'll make sure we have time to get to it. The yeah. first question we're going to ask after the poll is going to be what can a product manager do that AI can't? And I think I want to explore this conversation deeper when we get to that question. So I'm going to I'm going to put a pause on that. We're going to pick yeah. that back up because I could I could talk about that for the next 30 <laughs> minutes and then our call, our call would be done, I think. Uh, I want to get uh, we've got a few other people who haven't done. Karen, uh, welcome to the call. Boy, a lot of conversation from a lot of us here. Uh, you know, what's your take? Um, I'm still kind of wondering, like, where does this all go? I love what it's doing now. I love it for my own personal benefit of um, you know, where I'm using it for more of a search and I'm getting concise answers where I don't have to sift through pages and pages um, and, you know, piece together information. It's very concise. Um, so I like that part. I'm just discovering different things that I can start searching on. So that's exciting to me and to understand where it can take us. Um, and then just trying to see uh, for my own personal, uh, for my company, how, how could it work there? Um, what could we do? And what would our users be open to using it for? Exactly. I, you know, I, one of my biggest, biggest fail and making a take on change of behavior with disruption was I'm like, nobody's going to stop going to Blockbuster. Everybody loves walking around the outside <laughs> wall and seeing what's there. Yeah. And, and then, you know, poof, right? So understanding how users are willing to change when the disruption happens is going to be so critical to how this, where this can go with that. Awesome, Karen. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get to Dutch and then we'll come to Mike. Uh, Dutch, what's your take on this? Everybody's had great things. I'm going to, I'm going to do less than a 90 second, hopefully. I mainly <laughs> agree with May about what's the problem. Uh, you know, not, not can we, but should we uh, do anything with AI and whether that's us consuming it for our own internal or are we providing it to our customers? Uh, going back to, you know, Excel, asking asking questions about how you do a, do a uh, calculation. That's been in the Excel help for a while. I mean, if any of you remember Clippy and now Microsoft's purchased ChatGPT, uh, Copilot is going to be doing that you know, a lot better than Clippy ever did. Um, it's just the the new version of all that. I'm going to be excited. Maybe using Clippy as the face of it makes it easier. It disarms us, right? It may, may, maybe so. Uh, and the last thing I'm going to share some links in here for the uh, the Center for, for Humane Technology. Uh, these are the folks that did the documentary, The Social Dilemma, about how social media and its AI has like really manipulated our brains. And uh, but there's now all these former you know, product and software developers and stuff that uh, they're really trying to make sure that we do things in a humane and ethical manner. So that's my shortness. And, and Dutch, it's, it's been in the chat, you know, people talking about the 
it all comes down to the humans and what they're programming it and the cognitive bias that gets into those data models uh, that we need to be worrying about. And so uh, nice to think about that humane side. Maybe that's something that product managers need to be pushing more just to make sure that as a community, we're, we're really supporting that where it goes. Mike, you and I were talking about this yesterday and you know, with your background in industrial automation and robotics, you've, well, A, you understand what the robots can do with this AI to make Terminator 2 possible. Uh, but you know, you also have seen how it, you know, how machine learning and, and you know those types of things have already been impacting stuff that many other people haven't seen about. I'd love to get your take as a product manager who has been doing some of this stuff. What's your take? Yeah, so I think a couple of things are happening here. Um, you know, over time, the cost of robots and automation has been dropping, and compute power is increasing. And when you add machine learning and AI, the capabilities, what you're able to do is solve new problems that weren't possible years ago. Um, yeah, there's a lot of companies out there that now can do um, pick and place from a bin in a warehouse that has miscellaneous parts. Um, and what's tricky about parts in general is they're different sizes, different shapes, different orientations, and, and you have some what I call squishy parts. So imagine trying to pick up a bag of M&Ms, uh, right? So as you pick it up, it's not like there was solid surface. And all of a sudden, with some AI machine learning, the system, the AI, can actually you know, compensate an offset for that. And what that does for industry is uh, it supports or enables or replaces some people in the warehouse so Amazon and other facilities can get more product out at a lower cost. And that's huge in terms of the general trend for where I see the industry going. Yeah, I, 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 when I used to work uh, in the standards for the barcode uh, system, the G, G, GS1, I went to a warehouse that had, like, it, I felt like it was in Monsters, Inc. Because, like, they had these robots that would go up, like, you know, 15 stories, and in, 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 it was just amazing. And, and they were picking and packing and creating pallets of one-off things, which was, uh, it, you know, I think in the industrial, it's, it's a new industrial revolution is going to come from it when it comes to those types of products. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think we all have seen with COVID and just in general, it's like if, if you need something, you can run to Target or Macy's or you know, Walmart, or you could just go to, you know, an online store and say, I need uh, paper towels or I need, you know, shampoo, and it shows up at your door the following day. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It is. Uh, thank you, Mike. Steve, last comment before we get to the poll. Well, you know, going back to the discussion on, uh, you know, ethics and uh, uh, the, the, the evil underbelly of AI, I guess, I'm reminded, uh, I, I hope that all the people who are involved in computing today have read Isaac Asimov's books. The laws of robotics were created in 1942 in a short story. And, you know, the first law is, is will not hurt humanity, right? So if you don't know the three laws of robotics, you should check it out on Wikipedia. And if you're doing anything in AI, you should be looking there to make sure that we're not harming one another the way social media has. I completely agree with that. And it's amazing how much Asimov and a lot of the sci-fi writers were so far ahead of what is happening.
uh, or potentially they set the vision and the aspirations for people and people just uh, realize what they had talked about 50, 60 years ago. <clears throat> On Wednesday, we asked the poll, what, oh, I put the wrong, I didn't get the right thing in here. Uh, I forgot to update the slide. Steve, talk while I update the slide. Uh, do you want me to like slowly relate the three laws of robotics? Sure. Uh, yeah, slowly relate this. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you remember the three laws of robotics? The first one is like, do no harm to humanity. I, I have them through up. Through right action now. or inaction, right? Who has them up? I have them up. Uh, so a, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. And then the zero with law of robotics is to take that to the level of humanity, not just a human, but all of humanity. No, oh, I, I love that. And actually, that was a great transition to our poll. Uh, on thank Wednesday, you, <laughs> thank you, Spencer. On Wednesday, we asked in the next 18 months, where do you think product managers will see the most impact from AI? Uh, in your product, analyzing discovery interviews, market and competitive research, improving positioning and messaging, or other, it depends. I think this is the first time we didn't have another, other, it depends in a while. Uh, May and Eva, you guys were on the team in your product. I wanna give uh, May and then Eve, I'll give you a good chance to talk about why you, did, why you thought in your product was gonna be where we'll see the most impact. 18 months is a long time. Um, right now, we're already seeing the impact of AI on market and competitive research. Gong's been up for a while. Um, Seismic has like AIML built, built in, almost all of them have it now. I feel like we're already slightly past the point where we're going to see the most impact. I think 18 months from now, we're, we're going to be far beyond that. Just because like you can see the speed at which the models are improving, um, all the er a lot of the errors we started seeing at the beginning of the launch of even just ChatGPT a couple months ago. Now it's just like, there, it, it's, it's incredible the rate at which we've already improved. So with the advent of more teams, more companies building up AIML capabilities and training more people into doing it and just building that out as a full discipline, I feel like we're gonna see that more in our product, uh, respective products, either in the form of we built it ourselves or we're bundling this AI capability, so. If, if it said six months, would you have changed your answer? Yes. Okay. So there's somewhere, you know, in the six to 12 months is probably that inflection from where you thought it'd be helping us as product managers do our job, analyzing market research, that type of stuff versus where we'll see it in our product. I, I can, I can easily take that. Maybe 18 months was too, too far of a window. Uh, normally in my life, 18 months has been like a, just past the, 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 the current window. <laughs> and now with, with fast moving technology, that may not be the case. Thank you. Uh, Eva, your, your take, anything else you wanted to add to that? I mean, maybe it's because of the product you work with RPA, so you're already putting it into it. Oh yeah, there's um, there's actually a webpage on our company site that says uh, 
AI and RPA, and it kind of lists out why we're doing it and how it's going to propel automation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it firsthand right now. So that's why I answered in your product. Makes a ton of sense. Uh, that was 27% for in your product. 18% was analyzing discovery interviews. Is there anybody on the call that would vote for this? Because no, none of the people who voted for it are on this call. Spencer, I'm thinking you would have been somebody who might be voting for this, but I, yeah. I'd love to understand where you would vote. I mean, uh, 18 months, I think, um... I think I think it really like strategy, like I think it would be like positioning strategy, okay. um, like high level stuff. I mean, it will obviously do a lot of the, the internal product operations, going through your discovery calls, finding insights, market research analysis. I think that's like three months, two months. Okay. Um, I think 18 months, I think we'll really see it beyond these conversations where you're doing product discussions, um, helping think through strategy, positioning, road mapping. Um, I think that's probably where it's like 18 months. Definitely. That's, that's where it's going to be. I, I, I appreciate your insight under this with somebody who's actually built. So it's almost in the product for you because you're building a product around it, but you're also building it for product management. So you can see where it's going to help us as well. I can, you know, it's tough to come up with a, an answer there. Let it, the, the most votes and the remaining votes was 18% for analyzing discovery interviews. It was 54% on market and competitive. Uh, Corey, I'm going to start with you because I can't recognize some of the other icons, the people out there. So I part of this question uh, is interesting to listen to some of the answers of, you know, what's going to be possible. This will be possible in three months. This will be possible in whatever. My mind was what's going to stick 18 months from now with the, the, the noise that's around what's possible, what will stick and still be a part of what we as product managers are doing in 18 months? What are we using it for? And I think the most likely candidate for that is the research component of asking questions, doing things with that will still be there. I think the other things are possible. I don't think they will be what uh, the, the answer to the question or the, the question was uh, the most impact. I think we will still see the most impact because it will stick and it will be part of our normal processes. Like using God for using a tool. So we use, I, I'm not going to say the name of a tool, but let's say we use Miro a lot for our work or we use Notion a lot for our work or something else. I think this will be a tool that sticks around to do research. You know what I answered? I also answered marketing competitive research. And one of the reasons I, that's where I got my start after getting my MBA. It's a place where I see a lot of people lack those skills and don't know how to do it well. And a lot of times it's not done or not done well. The reason I did it was I think that AI and chat GPT and whatever comes of it is actually going to be making it easier for people to check a box, do something that they weren't doing well and get better at it. And that's where it's going to have the most impact. It's going to take us from where an underserved, under met, you know, need to maybe where it needs to be. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough to think about that. Uh, Glenn, I'd love your take. On the poll itself? Yeah, what would you vote for? Since I didn't have the good taste to respond. Uh, for me, uh, my direct experience is within your product. My, as a product manager, I would love, in fact, I've, I've played with ChatGPT as a way to do competitive research just to keep up with it. Because one of the problems I've found is simply 
making the time to just read your competitors blog posts and careers page and all that kind of stuff to suss out where they're headed yeah i there. yeah I, I love that now I, in, in the integrated into product you know one of the issues uh, that we've hinted at here that i've felt directly and some of the folks on the call may be feeling now is ml is like natural science not computer science you know it's it's in a weird hybrid state of that but the, it's just way more unpredictable in my experience than um than computer science and we all know that when you're working with engineers the timelines only grow and and deadlines are typically missed right complexity is not detected during an estimates phase and so on and so forth right so multiply that by uh all the all the weirdness of an ml model and you get the the difficulty of putting um reliably putting ml in your product right yeah, I get it. I, I want to get the votes, although I, I want to make sure we have time for the next question. So I'm just going to do a quick finish the poll. Zach, of these, which do you think would be uh, for you? I feel like my answer is always it depends, to be totally honest. Um, my the, the way I kind of see it is I think that on sort of like the highest level, what AI is starting to do is get people thinking about first principles, problem solving a lot more and figuring out kind of the smallest, most atomic Russian doll first, and then sort of the logical thing that hangs on that after. So if you have research blind spots or missing puzzle pieces, solving for those first, and then strategic, you know, missing blind spots or puzzle pieces, solve for those second, and then tactical missing puzzle pieces or blind spots solve for those third. So I think in 18 months, you'll be able to, to brainstorm a straw man like product vision that's pretty good that you can poke some holes in and then also create a product strategy that's B minus that you can also like create as like a straw man that you can burn down or poke holes in. And then you could probably even create like a, a product level tactical punch list from a product backlog item with some prioritization framework that's kind of conditional logic based, based on level of effort and level of business value. That's probably pretty reasonably backed into an agile scrum framework. And I, I honestly think that what it'll do is just compress time spent and just like act as a force multiplier so and the, the, accelerant. The the biggest impact is on our available time because it's going to be a uh, totally i think i think it's going to help us make fewer bad decisions faster you know sort of like the validated learning faster feedback loops you know more ways to test learn and validate um from a sort of hypothesis development validation and validation standpoint awesome let's get to uh karen dutch and uh mike and steve just quickly karen is there one that you would vote for Mine was like a 50-50 split between the market research and then the positioning and messaging. Okay. And, and I, it's, I think we probably didn't, that, that's a conversation that, you know, maybe it's even a, we should have a positioning and messaging or positioning and strategy conversation and have AI be a subset of that. But I, I can see that split easily happening. Dutch, how about you? I did answer this poll on here, uh, but um, 
I think your thing is late or outdated. Sorry. Anyway, um, the market and competitive research, you know, AI is going to be able to do it, but it's not going to be able to do it completely. I mean, there's always going to have to be humans involved with that. Uh, same thing with uh, user interviews. I mean, humans are always going to have to be involved in that. Uh, I put the improving positioning and messaging um, because whatever the AI and humans can do with user interviews and competitive research, uh, it's going to be able to build to that positioning and messaging. Wow. Plus, not just product is going to be using AI for positioning and messaging, but also sales, marketing. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody else in the company will be using it for their role in getting stuff out the door and getting them at a fifth grade level. Tell me what we do. <laughs> yeah. All right, Mike. What would you vote for? You're on mute. I think the market and competitive research, and any time um, there. There's a need to analyze a large amount of data. I think uh, AI can do a really good job taking a first pass. And I agree with Dutch that you know humans are going to have to be involved at some level. Um, but I think AI um, can do a really good job managing a large amount of data very quickly. Awesome. I love that. Steve, just your vote. I don't need your opinion. Well, it's a tool. It, it's a tool for research, but it could also be a tool for positioning. We want to position ourselves as the best browser on the market and and do a search on that and find out there's no chance that you're going to be able to win that game because so-and-so already has 98%, right? So, I, but I would agree with, with Mike and I think everybody else's point that is it's a tool that needs a human uh, involvement to, to guide it. Until we get to Spencer's future world of uh, AGR, was it? AGI, yeah. I, AGI. So we don't have a ton of time for this question. Uh, what can a product manager do that AI cannot? And actually, I asked this question of ChatGPT, and it said, as an AI language model, I can provide general information about the differences between product manager and AI. While AI can perform many tasks and analysis that humans can, there are still areas where human product managers excel. Here are a few examples. Creativity and innovation, decision-making, building relationships and communicating with stakeholders, and strategic planning. So, you know, I'm gonna, we've got a, a few minutes here. We can't get to everybody. I'd love to get some takes on, are there any hot takes on, you know, as people who do product management, as individuals, what is our differentiation against AI? How do we, what do we lean into to make sure that we don't just get consumed or subsumed or gone away? Yeah, I think a lot of it boils down to creativity and out of the box thinking. Yeah, I-, I Good point. I, AI is in the box thinking. Yeah, yeah. literally. <laughs> yeah, good one. What else? Uh, say no to a stupid sales request. <laughs> so we have to teach AI how to say no. I mean, that's a, that's a, key. I mean, it'll answer yes to anything. I mean, there's sometimes I've seen Bing tap out of chat chats where it was like, okay, I'm done having this conversation, but I, I mean, it's, it is, I was, that was mainly a laugh for Steve, but yeah, say no to stupid requests. Okay. I love that. Uh, 
Anybody else? All right. And there's, uh, there's, there's one thing I would say. I, I, we've definitely noticed it's really hard at like understanding, um, like situational context about prioritization. So like there's, for example, you might have an engineer is working on something and they don't enjoy working on that thing. And there's like burnout. There's like specific strategy that you have to think about with like team dynamics and company dynamics that I think product people are really good at because they can hold kind of like what you're talking about, like empathy for people uh, and a lot of empathy for people. And I think like we've found that that's very difficult. It's very like, this is the right thing to do. So you should do it. But sometimes like the right thing to do is not the best thing to do. Um, and so I think that it's, it's, it's often failed at those types of problems that we've seen. I love that. May, any, any comments, thoughts? Um, I think one of the things is that like there, there is a certain level of confidence with which, um, at least the current models respond and there, there is something to be said where a lot of product management is still, much more gut feel slash everything adds up to the decisions that we make. So if we're going with like purely logical, well, I assume it's purely logical models, um, how, where, where does that nuance come from, right? Um, does it change? What are the biases in our data? I think a lot of those things will still need to, need a certain degree of human touch maybe who knows? I can't even answer this question anymore. Like AI has changed so much. Well, it's <laughs> I had a conversation a few years ago with somebody who said, oh, I'm working with this company that uses data warehouses and data lakes to identify new product opportunities. Da, 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 da. And I, I'm like, 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 is that going to take away what you, what you guys, what you do and what product management does? I'm like, at the, at the base of it, you know, let's go back to those first level principles, right? I personally believe that there is this unknown, unknown area of discovery where we're trying to go out and discover undermet and unmet needs that if we don't have conversations, right? Analyzing data is only data we have in house, right? Some, and maybe this AGI stuff is gonna be able to get it. We talked about this empathy and whatever. I, I don't know. I, I think that there's some level of, it don't, AI can only, analyze the data that it has access to it is not the you know the creation and maybe the agi stuff will get there i think that we're still going to be able to when it comes to finding new problems to solve and new markets to enter and that type of stuff i still think that there's going to be a need for product managers to be able to ask the right questions and do the right follow-ups and create new content that maybe eventually can be that can be used ai i don't know this is where my head is uh we're, we're, we're about time to do uh, the wrap up. I did ask ChatGPT uh, if it was to ask a product manager. Oh, I jumped too far. Pro I, the prompt to ChatGPT, Chat what would be a good question to ask product managers on the impact of AI and product management? So what ChatGPT came up was, what are some specific ways in which AI has impacted your roles as product managers? We sort of talked about in the poll, but I thought... I went all in on AI. This is the question from ChatGPT. So I wanted to share that with you guys. But what we want to really get to is uh, what, you know, 
what's the biggest learning or takeaway from this conversation? We've had a lot of conversations talking about different things about AI and what it can do, the ethical issues to the, you know, potential, you know, saving lives and, and that type of stuff uh, and, the, and the role that has on here. Uh, Eva, what's your, you know, from this conversation, you, you're, you're living it on both sides, product and not, you know, what's your biggest takeaway from this conversation? I mean, I just think at the end of the day, let's make AI accessible and ethical for all. Let's not just, you know, give it to the, you know, I don't know. I just, I want it to be able to make a difference for everyone as, as corny as that sounds, but with technology comes responsibility as well. So that's kind of my takeaway. So sort of the Spider-Man view of it with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, yeah that, and, I knew and Corey, I I'm that sure I said, I'm, I'm Corey, I'm sure I said that wrong, but I I don't know, <laughs> but yes. All right, Glenn. Well, I, you know, the, it's interesting to see, like we're we're having a good debate and discussion, but there's a lot of similarity too that I think as product managers, we we look at the with our with our lens to Chat GPT and other innovations. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm personally really interested to check out Spencer's product and to see how people, because I have not applied anything ML in my role as a product manager. I've built ML products, right? But that's not the same thing at all. Yeah. Awesome. That's Thank you. Glenn. Interesting. That's fascinating. <laughs> Somebody who's doing this has not used it for his job. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Karen. Oh, um, that is so unknown right now. Like, who knows what the possibilities are and where we're going to be. There's and there's so much change that's happening so fast. It's it's like there's this great unknown. We know it's going to make an impact. It's just figuring out what takes and what doesn't, and and where it goes. Hopefully, ethically. To to Eva's point. Yeah. Awesome. Dutch. <laughs> All right. That 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 just has nothing to say on this topic right now. Corey. So I, I'm struck by the iPhone moment. Uh, 2007, when when the iPhone was introduced, there were cell phones before, there were Palm Pilots before, there were all these things before, but suddenly when that gets introduced, everything takes off. So is ChatGPT that iPhone moment for AI? Because this stuff has been going on for years. Glenn's worked on it, Spencer's worked on it, other companies have been working on AI type things for years, and maybe this is the moment of it. But really, I don't know. It, it comes down to practicality, right? How practical is the tool? for the use cases that we have for it. As product managers, as, as humans, as, as whatever we're doing, fixing a washing machine, whatever it is, what's the practicality that these things can help us with? Um, or is it practical to have a AI determine your product strategy? Yeah, I, I mean, God, as a product strategist, I hope not. But uh, we'll see where it goes. And, and sitting in Steve Johnson's seat uh, as my final person I go to, my friend May Wong. Your take. I, I don't think we can ever know where this takes us, but one thing that I found interesting is we're all talking about ChatGPT, but like there's huge advances, not just there, but also Dali, Valley, like the voice, um, the Microsoft voice model, like everything that's coming out from the base model perspective is so almost terrifying because it's so good and these are just the first launches 
right? So I think we have to keep that in mind, like what we know today, the limitations we know today might not be there in a month. We're not talking yeah. about years anymore. So I think we should just keep that in mind. Like, don't think about today's model limitations as what you're going to deal with two months from now. It's like almost Moore's law where it exponentially is getting more powerful and more powerful. Yeah. With I mean, there will, it will hit a peak. Yeah. But no, I, I, I get in. I'll say that my biggest takeaway, I'm going to go back to your answer, May, on the Monday, you know, it's about what problems are we solving with it, whether it's our problems with how do we get more efficient and reduce friction as a product manager or get better, or uh, is it uh, how do we uh, solve better problems or more problems or different problems for our customers, and I think that's where it goes. Uh, as we started last week, we're going to preview where we go with this and our preview for next week. The topic next week is going to be tough product decisions. Uh, so tough product decisions is the topic next week. And the question will go into the community on Monday. We do that every week. Monday question goes in on tough product decisions. So start thinking about tough product decisions you've had to make. Uh, on Wednesday, we'll do the poll. And on next Friday, we'll have this great conversation again. What an amazing conversation. With, what, what an incredible panel. Very deep and broad with experience in this stuff. And so I wanna thank everybody who's, who's already had to leave because of uh, the timing, uh, but also still here, Glenn, Dutch, uh, Corey, and my friend, May Wong, thank you so much. We'll see you guys next week in the community. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Product Growth Leaders Topic of the Week. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. For more great content and to participate in the Topic of the Week conversations, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.